6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. See, the Greek has four words for love. Storge, which is affection love, like a parent towards a child. Phileo, which is the friendship love, having things in common, that sort of thing. Agape, the noun, is God's unconditional love. It's a noun only in the Bible. The verb, agapeo, means to be totally given over to. And people are totally given over to darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So the verb has wide application. The noun only used in the New Testament is one exception. The thing that proves a rule is a counterfeit, and there's one counterfeit of that example. But agape, the noun, is God's unconditional love. Eros, sexual, sensual love, you won't find that term in the New Testament. It's interesting that even the Greeks understood very clearly that it was essential that eros be bridled or restrained. They recognized that unbridled eros was a disaster on a culture. That was interesting to realize that they had that perception. Now John has three contests we're going to deal with. He's going to describe a life that is real, and he uses three words repeatedly, life, love, and light. And what I'm going to invite you to do, you can jot these down, to read these three sections separately. 1 John 2, 7 through 11, we'll look at that here in this study, obviously. In a subsequent session, we'll be looking carefully at 1 John 3, uh, John 3, verses 10 to 24, and subsequently we'll look at 1 John 4, 7 to 21. We'll take just a quick glimpse at them now. It's going to become clear that love, life, and light cannot be separated. They're not the same thing, but they're at the same time inseparable. Christian love is affected by light and darkness. That's what 1 John 2, 7 to 11, and we're going to be looking at that. Christian love is a matter of life or death. And that's what would be the main theme in 1 John 3, 10 to 14. See, to live in hatred is to live in spiritual death. And finally, Christian love is a matter of truth or error, as 1 John 4 will deal with. Because if we know God's love toward us, we show God's love toward others. That's the, that's the truth of it all. So in these three sections, we have three good reasons why Christians should love one another. Because God has commanded us to love. That's the, the section we're going to be looking at. Because we have been born of God and God's love lives in us. And that's what John 3 is going to deal with. And God first revealed his love to us in 1 John 4. Okay, so let's look at the section here. Brethren... John says, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. When Jesus was asked, which is the first commandment? Remember, he quoted the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. Then he added Leviticus 19 as an addition. You find that in one 
reference is in Mark 12, starting at verse 29. Jesus answered and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The last verse, verse 31, is actually a quote of Leviticus 18.19. Again, John John continuing his epistle here. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. See, I got the just I got I think the previous verse just said I have the old commandment here, right? Now he says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Well, that sounds pretty good, except now I'm confused. Because if you look at the Gospel of John, chapter 13, he says something a little differently. He says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have sound doctrine. Oh, no, no, that's not what it is, is it? If ye have love one to another. Well, now I'm confused, because there's a new commandment by God in the Gospel of John, and now he says, a new commandment I write unto you. What's new about it? What are we dealing with here? A new commandment? New commandment? What's, what's going on? In what sense, then, is love one another a new commandment? There must be something here that's distinctive. You see, the Greeks have two different words for new. Neos, which means new in time, like the latest model. I have the newest whatever. The newest uh, iPhone or pager or whatever. New in time. Neos. Kanos means new in quality, a radically different thing. See, our English terms, recent and fresh, are rough equivalents. One is new in the sense of being recent, and the other one is new in the sense it's fresh. Okay? So there's a little different tone here we're dealing with. The commandment to love one another is not new in time, but it's new in character. In Christ, it now takes on a new meaning as we learn in this section of five verses, these five verses that we're going to look at, 7 through 11. New in emphasis, that was verse 7. New in example, in verse 8. And new in experience, in verses 9, 10, and 11. Okay? We together? Christ, of course, was the perfect example. He never showed hatred or malice. He hated sin and disobedience, but he never hated the people who committed such sins. You know, it's really interesting. When he comes in adulterous or whatever, it was, a, it was always met with compassion. There's only one group of people that he, he tore apart verbally. The professional religionists of its day. And he called them children of Satan. It's hard not to deviate one of those. We'll, we'll keep going here. Okay. And he was patient with Peter's impulsiveness. He was patient with Thomas's unbelief and even Judas's treachery. Even at the cross, he prayed for those that crucified him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
He's our example. Well, continue verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. He that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness, knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Boy. Another principle to insert here, the only assurance, the only certain barrier to truth is the presumption you already have it. Any, kind of, any other kind of obstacle can be overcome except that one. The one obstacle that cannot be overcome is the presumption you already have truth. That's important to guard against. Darkness, darkness, darkness here. You know, you put a flower in darkness, what happens to it? It shrivels. Interesting. We become like the gods we worship. That's in Psalm 115, verse 8, 135, 18, and it's a profound truth. Is the world hard, cold, unforgiving? If you worship the world, you too will become cold, hard, and unforgiving. Whatever you're worshiping, you will become like that. That's why you want to make sure you're worshiping the God of the universe. Because as you do, you will become like Him. Christian love is not an appendage. It is the very essence of the Christian experience. Without love, Christian life is nothing. That's the core of the whole thing. That's what spawned the whole family of books of my wife's ministry, King's Highway. Every one of them. That whole diversity of books all has as its core, knowing how God loves you and what your response should be to that. The one another statements, I thought this was an interesting compilation, the one another statements. We're supposed to wash one another's feet. We're to prefer one another in Romans 12. We, we are to be of the same mind one to another in Romans 12. Do not judge one another in Romans 14. Receive one another in Romans 15. Admonish one another in Romans 15. Edify, in other words, build up one another, 1 Thessalonians 5. Bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6. Confess your faults to one another in James 5. Use hospitality one to another in 1 Peter 4. And there's a dozen more of these. I just thought that was a... It's interesting to get the, the breadth of that one anotherness, if you will. What happens to a believer who does not love the brethren? He lives in darkness. Though he may think he's living in the light. That's the warning of verse 9. He is living a lie. Ooh. He becomes the cause of stumbling, we learn in verse 10. He retards a believer's spiritual progress in verse 11. And we get to verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. There's that term, little children. Technion, little child. Barren ones. I love the Scottish term. It's from a verb, to bring into existence. The born ones is probably the most accurate translation. I write to you, born ones, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. That's what in John chapter 3, his gospel points out to Nicodemus, ye must be born again. And Peter picks up on that. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So if you're born again, you will live and abide forever. 
by very definition here. I run to you, little children. James tells us, of his own will he be, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. See the basis because of what Jesus has done. That's the basis of our forgiveness, not what we've done. It's what he's done. He's paid the full price. It's totally sufficient. But birth is only the beginning of life. We tend to to, to celebrate someone accepting Christ as some kind of victory. Well, we certainly should celebrate it, but it's actually a starting gun, not a finish line. That just starts the process of sanctification. That just starts the growth and the fruit bearing and so forth. But grow in grace, that's a command, that's an imperative by 2 Peter 3. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a commandment. Are you doing that? Are you following through on that? Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ. You say you're born again? Terrific. What have you done with it? You know, I often ask the question in an audience, you know, how many of you are born again? All the hands go up. What have you done with it? What fruit have you borne? That's not a finish, that's a starting gun. Where's your, what's the finish line? What have you done with it? You see, your fruit bearing will be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Second, Second Corinthians 5.10 will all appear to give accountable. Our salvation is not the issue there. Everyone before that judgment seat is saved by the completed work of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about that. But what fruit have we borne? That's where we're going to get our assignments for the coming, what the Chinese call the kingdom of inheritance. And we have all this elaborated in some studies called Inheritance and Rewards. It's a, entering heaven is one thing. Inheriting heaven is quite another. And we need to understand the difference and encourage you to dig into that. But moving on to verse 13. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. We're going to talk about overcoming next time, especially. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Notice the difference, the fathers, the young men, and the little children. We have three different levels of maturity in view here. Fathers, young men, little children. Now this is the fourth reason to overcome, to have known him, to overcome the wicked one. We haven't talked about him particularly here. We're going to get into that in the forthcoming session, of course, especially. But the word little children here is not technion again like in verse 12. It's a pation. It really means infants in the Lord. Immature little ones is the, is the thought. So we're talking here about spiritual pediatrics, I suspect. See, normal babies are self-centered and, and need nurturing. If there's a lack of normal growth, we call them retarded. Maturity wings are not intended to be rest homes, right? Most of us are treating our maturity wings as if it's our rest home. No, we're intended to outgrow that. That's what the epistle to the Hebrews is all about. He scolds them because they're on the milk. They should be on meat. First Corinthians 3, they claim to be spiritual, but they were actually retarded. Their growth was less than normal. That was his point. I've written you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. The word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Now to the young men. The Niniscos, the Niniscos. I'm sure our Greek friends are 
are disturbed by mispronouncing those words. But it's a term for adolescent. They were strong, and they were strong because they were commanded to be. In Ephesians chapter 6, there is an imperative, put on the whole armor of God. He mentions it twice, not just your favorite pieces, the whole armor. There are seven elements to that. You need to study Ephesians 6 and find out what those elements are and make sure you can apply them to yourself because you are already on enemy turf. You want to be equipped. And there's a whole digression I could have taken you on on this one. Are you in a soul-building program? I think many of you may belong to some membership, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Croc Center or uh, Athletic Facility, someplace to get in shape. Are you, is your, are you in a soul-building program? And if so, who's your trainer? Better be the Holy Spirit. But uh, it, you should be the object of a specific systematic program. Pray it through. Lay it out. Follow through on it. The Word of God abideth in them. See, all, all mature Christians are Bible Christians. We find it increasingly necessary to talk about biblical Christians in America because there's so many groups that call themselves Christian that have the foggiest notion of what the Bible is all about. They're adopting, they're, they're adopting a social phrase rather than a biblical reality. All mature Christians are Bible Christians, biblical Christians. And the, the biblical illiteracy in America is probably one of its most serious failings. And that's what hopefully the Institute, in its small way, is trying to repair. Now, there's two words of wicked in the New Testament. Here, the word ponerous is from which we get the word pornography. It means peril or pain or trouble. In the physical sense, diseased or blind. In the ethical sense, evil, wicked, or bad. Here it refers to those who are not content to go down the drain by themselves, but want to pull someone else down with them. Misery loves company, doesn't it? Spiritual maturity. See, the fathers, in verse 13 and 14, refers to spiritual maturity. They have known him from the beginning, praise God. A father is capable of procreation. He can reproduce himself. Are you? Are you a spiritual parent? Are there, are there those that you are assisting becoming a disciple? Growing? Strengthening? A father is also capable of confrontation when the, when the occasion demands it. Paul writes, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons I warn you. That's the Paul's words echoing in our ears there. The word warn here is nothothedo, which means to speak to the heart of, to admonish, comes close. The Father is also an example. Okay. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, he says. And here's this word mementos again, it comes from the word where we get the word mimic, if you will. So what is the gospel according to you? We have the gospel here according to Mark that we're studying Monday mornings. We're studying the gospel according to John, the gospel according to Paul in the book of Romans. What's the gospel according to you look like? When people see you, they see a gospel statement. They see you representing the one that you've taken on to represent. That's why the third leg in our institute, we call it the koinonos leg, it's, it's, it's motivated by um, the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. 
We argue it has nothing to do with vocabulary. It has to do with ambassadorship. If you're going to take the name of the king, you, ne you need to be prepared to represent him accurately, competently, faithfully. Well, okay, so we've gone through the half of this chapter rather than mince it any further. But I want you to study the remainder of the chapter for, uh, next, for the next session. And I want you to pay attention to the world. The world, you know. God made the world and all the things therein. We learn in Acts 17, verse 24, and a lot of other places. John 3, 16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and so on. Right? God made the world. He loved the world, apparently. And yet you and I are cautioned to love not the world. That's the first verse we're going to encounter in the next session. What on earth are we dealing with here? That uh, sounds contradictory. There's a paradox involved. I want you to resolve that paradox by reading the last half of this chapter by next time. Which is it? Do we love the world or love not the world? You can argue both ways. We're going to talk a little bit next time about authority. Uh, and we find that there's several words for authority. Power, if you will. Dunamis is the source of power. That's from the, the term from which we get the word dynamite, the source of power. Exus is the empowerment. That's the, 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 the seeing that power uh, applied, if you will. And between these two, there's a control called kratos, which controls, it's a control between the source and the empowerment. To try to dramatize that for you, a source can be visualized like a battery, and the uh, the uh, kratos is like a switch, and the iskus is the light. And in order to turn, you you throw the switch to turn on the light. So there's three words for power, but each in a slightly different tone. Dunamis is the source, kratos is the controlling, like the volume control or the the, the transmission control, if you will, and iskus is the actual empowerment that you're seeking. And the three of these things together are the exousia, or the authority. So we're together so far. Okay, well, we're told we, we have the dunamis and the kratos, but we're facing three different adversaries. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Do we treat them all the same? Not at all. Not at all. We, we have the word of God, the cross, and the blood. And it's uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse in his materials suggests that the iskus of the Word of God, was it's our faith that uh, in the Word of God that we deal, that we use to deal with the, uh, with the world. The flesh is something altogether different. And we, the flesh, you cannot cast out the flesh. You better flee the flesh. Flight. The devil himself, you fight because you have the authority thanks to the completed work of Christ. So you have three different uh, challenges, three different strategies. Faith, flight, and fight. You've not got to know which one to use when. And next time we're going to focus on the Word of God, our faith in the Word of God, as we deal with the world. Next time. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. This is the only chapter that we split into two sessions because I didn't want to, I want to do it justice. The subsequent sessions will be a chapter at a time, so that'll work out comfortably, I think.
But all of us are works in progress. And our works in progress can be the result of happenstance, drifting, just being casual about opportunities, or it can be the result of a commitment, a program. And every one of us needs to take our spiritual maturity seriously and grow spiritually. Grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And you do that by several things, not the least of which is a serious, systematic study of the Bible. Say, well, I read my Bible every day. That's devotional reading. I take that for granted. Of course you do. You don't, I don't think you're as foolish to assume you can survive our times without that devotional commitment. But I'm suggesting something more intense, something more systematic, something more rigorous, something more organized. And that's a program of taking the Bible seriously. A book at a time, verse by verse, in a serious study. Some of you can do that on your own very effectively. Most of us benefit by being in a small group, a group that's small enough to ask questions without embarrassment, a group small enough to have some sense of accountability. We encourage you to do that. You can do that face-to-face. That's the best way. Another way you can do it, you can do it on the Internet. Find out about the Institute and how you can be part of a worldwide fellowship that will endure for a lifetime. So I encourage you to look at that. Let's bow our hearts for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence. We do pray, Father, that you would reignite in each of us a renewed commitment to toward spiritual maturity. Help us, Father, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, that we might be more effective stewards of the opportunities you place before us, that we might be more pleasing in your sight. As we commit ourselves into your hands, in the name of Yeshua, our Lord, our Savior, our coming King, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the books of 123 John. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.